Real Fun DC. Hospitality and a little bit of sass are always on the menu. Industry Night with Nikki Nellis. Hi, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Industry Night on Real Fun uh, DC. I want to thank you all for joining me. Uh, so for those of you who know who I am, uh, you don't need to listen for the next uh, 60 seconds. But for those of you who don't, I'm going to do a little intro. So you may know me because you hear my radio show, Foodie and the Beast, which is on every Sunday and has been for the last 12 years that I do with my husband, David. I am the foodie. He is the beast. And you will understand that when you hear the rest of my spiel. So I've been covering the DC food and wine scene for the last 17 years and uh, have a variety of platforms where I'm really able to amplify what's happening in the DC food and wine scene, which includes Foodie and the Beast, my regular stories on WTOP radio, the list are you on it.com, the online e-zine, and all my social media at N-Y-C-C-I-N-E-L-L-I-S. Uh, follow me on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook to keep on keep up on the latest and greatest. And to that point, there is so much latest and greatest happening in the DC metro area. So we just passed a huge weekend, Valentine's Day, Lunar New Year, Mardi Gras celebrations. The good news is, is that some of it is still continuing into this week. So it is the year of the ox. And if you're an ox, you're like a really cool laid back dude, which I really can't understand because I'm a rooster and I am so not like that. But there are fabulous Lunar New Year celebrations happening all week long. Delicious dumplings, amazing bao buns. Like, you know what the deal is. You want to get in on that. And I highly recommend you check our Lunar New Year roundup on the website. Also, Mardi Gras happening right now and again there are lots of delicious ways to participate this year even if we can't throw beads at each other we can have virtual bead throwing parties um so lots of yummy deliciousness that is happening in and around the dc metro area take a look at the website you'll see all the places that are hosting and doing other cool things to find in this week's issue so outdoor dining it's here for good year round I think it's gonna be one of the things that we see going forward, regardless of where we stand on the pandemic. And what's amazing is, is the investments that area restaurants, bars and hotels have made to accommodate people outside. And there are just some glorious, glorious ways to dine outside safely and comfortably and warmly, believe it or not, right now. So we have a whole list under our Oasis Dining. Brunch is blowing up right now. So we have a fabulous new roundup of brunch and pandemic pop-ups so we did a whole episode of pandemic pop-ups just a month ago and since that time like 20 more pop-ups or ghost kitchens whatever you want to call them have happened around the dc metro area we keep the latest and greatest for you all on the website the list are you on it.com so as i do on every show i do want to remind you to support our restaurants whether you buy gift cards, which is one of my favorite things, or arrange neighborhood drops, which I'm going to be doing with our guests later on in the show, there's so many ways that you can help support our restaurants because if we don't do it, they won't be here for us. All right, let's get on with this week's show. So um, I have two uh, sets of guests. First, I'm launching the show with Courtney Lewis of Everybody Eats. And later in the show, we'll be talking to Chef Ed Revis, and his wife and business partner, Jennifer Meltzer, of All Set and Money Muscle. So I want to talk about Courtney Lewis because she is a very interesting woman. And I want to start off actually with Eric Bruner Yang. So Eric Bruner Yang um, 
is a mensch. It's a Yiddish term, and it means a person of integrity or honor, which Eric totally is. So he has a relationship with the listaryuana.com, and he the relationship is for the whole year of 2021. And every month, he would like a focus on a different charity happening in and around DC that maybe doesn't get the amplification that it deserves. So uh, last month we focused on uh, Walks of Washington, which is an amazing group. And uh, he introduced us to Courtney. So Courtney Lewis, I wanna uh, invite you up to the mic. Thank you for joining us today. Um, tell us a little bit about Everybody Eats. Thank you so much for having me. I'm thankful to be here and I'm always thankful to Eric Winner Yang for his support. Everybody Eats was started with a team of ex-restaurant workers. We realized that even on the restaurant wages that we had made, that we were in the bracket for food insecure individuals, yet each day we cleared out a fine dining kitchen. We initially wanted to open an after hours where everybody else in the industry would be able to have a good bite to eat after working all day. And our pivot happened when I started growing vegetables from seed over the summer during quarantine. Seeing the time and effort that it took, I recognized that I had contributed to a food waste cycle in my own community by working in restaurants. I've been in a place where I didn't know where my next meal was coming from. I've never forgotten how that felt. And with that in mind, I dedicate all my efforts to Everybody Eats. Everybody Eats empowers food insecure communities to live more sustainable lives by supplying health conscious meals, living essentials, employment and education opportunities. And no matter how hard or heavy the work has been to really connect with underserved populations, we never forget how it feels to have our stomachs full and our spirits fed. Well, Courtney, let me, I, I mean, it's, listen, you have done so much in such a short period of time. It is so commendable. Um, and I, I mean, if I'm correct, you have distributed over 3,600 meals already with PPE kits and you've replaced stolen tents or backpacks. I, how have you been able to take, you know, this the seed that you have planted and uh, fertilize it and make it grow? Like, how have you how have you grown the organization to do so much so soon? It's honestly been with the support of restaurants and our volunteer team. None of us are paid for the work that we do currently, despite the fact that it is our focus. But we constantly show up each day with the fact with the idea of just feeding people in mind. Um, and that's what's propelled us forward. I think when people hear us speak about it with a lot of fidelity, they believe in what we're doing. And I think our biggest goal has been to work with integrity because I know that in the nonprofit space and the mutual aid space, it gets airy and people never know what their money is going towards. And so we try to make sure that we show people on a regular basis what we're doing. Um, if we ever needed to take a break and we did this past fall, we told our community why we were doing it and why we weren't photographing the people that we served because they weren't doing well. And we just try to be honest and open about everything. And that has gotten us uh, to almost 10,000 in-kind donations on GoFundMe. It's allowed other restaurants within the city to partner with us. And now we're going to have the chance to partner with DC Central Kitchen as well. So that's amazing. So how are you partnering with DC Central Kitchen? Because for the lay person, you know, I, I feature different charities on, on both my shows and in the website, you know, all the time. And I think uh, some people may have um, charity fatigue, like they don't know, you, you actually said it really well, like they don't know where their money's going, they don't know who's doing what to who, you know, we do a lot of, I do personally a lot of work with No Kid Hungry and the Human Rights Campaign. Uh, 
But, you know, there's a lot of organizations that are looking to uh, feed people, World Central Kitchen, you know, Power of 10, Eric's Initiative. Um, so how how do you work within those models or do you not work within those models? Like, do you work with them? Do you not work with them? Do they help you with funding? How does that work? We actually, because of our mission, we fit right into their models. And so Power of 10 allows us to be able to focus more on being on the ground. A lot of a lot of the time when we first started, we were focused on like cooking the meals, making like packaging the meals, distributing the meals, like do, like trying to do everything. And ultimately, mm -hmm. you can't do it all. And mm -hmm. so we still contribute meals to each of our uh, each of our help us help them events that happen on a monthly basis. But Power of Ten constantly has committed to giving us meals each month. Uh, so has Hot Lola's um, from Kevin Tien, and through. Yep. And we're able to deliver them and we're able to get them out in like a quick period of time and also make the connections with the community that really needs to be heard. We're able to survey them and figure out how we can really help them and bring that information back to the people who can really use it. And well, that, but so, Kitchen, yes, sorry, I was just going to ask. Go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> That's okay. And through DC Central Kitchen, they're giving us the opportunity to deliver even more meals. And so we'll really be able to get into the communities because what's really different about Everybody Eats is that it started by three black women. And so when people see us and we show up at homeless tent camps or we show up in Southeast, it, they have representation. And so they mm -hmm. see people that they know, they're comfortable with approaching us and talking to us about what they're going through. We even did a call to, not necessarily a call to action, but we let people know that we're gonna start delivering on a bi-weekly basis and we've already had so many people inquire about meals. And it's like, it's, there's so many people inquiring about meals. There's only so many more people that we can help that aren't reaching out. Right. And so I guess my, so, so you didn't have to, like, I think initially you were trying to reinvent the wheel, even though there were other people who had the wheels running. So now you're partnering with them, which takes, which gives you time to focus yes. on something different, which is getting the meals out, which, you know, has always been part of, it's always been one of the problems for some of these charities is that they had the food, but, but the delivery part and getting it to the people, you know, access, getting it to the people had been a part of the problem. So you are really filling a hole. Uh, so when you and I first talked, you had said you needed a big kitchen, but do you now still need that kitchen? If we can still get a kitchen, we will uh, still uh, be cooking meals because ultimately, our goal and our vision is that from these ready-to-eat meals that we're serving from chefs, that we're able mm -hmm. to develop relationships with the community, and then furthermore, able to cook with them and educate them. Because a lot of the issues in why food insecurity is a thing, and a lot of the reasons why people aren't accustomed to some of the ingredients that people may leave in community fridges or they may be offered through a free CSA are because they don't have the education on it. And so we right. want to be able to educate the community about health, about health conscious meals and create less recidivism towards eating well, um, allow them to be able to volunteer with the Everybody Eats team in order to make meals. And then mm -hmm. we're also creating a sauce and pickle line for production so that it can be sold so that it can go we can put the money back into our operations but we would allow the community at a certain point to be able to cook those things with us and then receive food safety certifications so that they'd be higher qualified for other opportunities in the culinary industry if they so right. choose to and we've had Which a lot is, of the people that's brilliant sorry 
That's brilliant. No, Thank it's okay. You. It's hard. It's hard because you're on the phone. But listen, <laughs> we do have to wrap up. So here's the thing. Um, first of all, I, I just want to commend you for um, all your passion and taking that passion and exerting it in such a brilliant way and so quickly too. And I mean, getting volunteers, getting money. I mean, you've turned this around and and uh, I mean, way less than a year. I mean, when you think of how much time people put into things and how long sometimes it takes. It's just so impressive. And I definitely want you to come back on the show in a couple months and let us know where you are now and what's happening, you know, in the future. But if you could just tell everybody not only where to find you, but if they want to volunteer, how to volunteer, if they want to donate money, how to donate money. And if they're a restaurant, how they can work with you. Yes, absolutely. Thank you. It's an honor to be able to do this work and to be seen in the way that you see uh, the amount of work we've done in such a short period of time. But if mm -hmm. anybody would like to donate, if any restaurants would like to partner with us, if anybody wants to volunteer their time, there are all linked to it on everybodyeats.com. It's E-R-R-B-O-D-Y-E-A-T-S.com. Excellent. Okay, thank you so much, Courtney. I really appreciate your time and sharing your story with us today. Um, and I'm, I really mean it. I want you to come back in a couple months and give us an update, okay? Absolutely. Thank okay, you. Okay, great. Thank you. All right, this is Nikki Nellis on Industry Night. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to be talking some barbecue, which I'm totally getting into. We'll be back in just a sec. It's Industry Night with Nikki Nellis. Thanks for listening to Real Fun DC. Serving up thought for food. Now back to Industry Night with Nikki Nellis. Okay, and we're back. Welcome back to Industry Night with Nikki Nellis on Real Fun DC. Did you know you can ask Alexa to listen to me? Just say, hey, Alexa, turn on Industry Night on Real Fun DC, and boom, I will pop up. So it was really great talking to Courtney Lewis with Everybody Eats. If you are looking for something to volunteer with or make donations to, please check out what they're doing. They're really doing amazing work. And thank you once again to Eric Brunner-Yang for bringing the organization to my attention. Okay, now it's time to talk about like money muscle and business and all set and how you run multiple concepts during a pandemic. So with me today are two good friends. They've been on Foodie and the Beast a variety of times. It's their very first time on Industry Night. Um, I have Chef Ed Revis and his wife and business partner, Jennifer Meltzer, who launched All Set several years ago in Silver Spring, um, and then more recently lost, uh, launched Money Muscle, and they just do so much. So it's very exciting to talk to them. Hi, guys. Thanks for joining me today. Uh, thanks for having us. Thank you. Hi, Nikki. Hi. Okay, so Ed, let's start with you. How did you get into cooking? Like, how did you start? Where'd you start in this world? Um, I started working in, you know, the McDonald's, the Pizza Hut, Pizza Shack, you know, doing little dishwasher and registered things. And then I went to culinary school and stayed in restaurants and got into more fast-paced chains, Applebee's, Chili's. And those companies started to promote me very fast. And I'm like, okay, I'm kind of good at this. I literally stopped my undergrad, moved to Maryland, went to culinary school at Baltimore International, and the rest is history. <laughs> Here I am now. But so so you went to culinary school, and was there a style of cooking that you learned in culinary school? Like, what was it about culinary school where you like, oh, I can take this and do X with? Like, what what was turning you on at culinary school? Yeah, I mean, the class, I think it was like the classical, you know, you teach the classical French cooking at 
you know, you learn all of the, the cool chefs who created all of this stuff. Um, but, you know, I fell in love when, I feel like when I went to culinary school, Top Chef had just made it begin, I want to say. Like, it was like in like early, early on when that, that thing was starting to blow up. And um, I really got enamored with it and started getting exposed to really fine dining kitchens in the Maryland area because there are none where I'm from. There are no fine dining restaurants. Um, and then coming up here and being exposed to the upper scale cooking, it just, it all started to come together for me, like having the Let's technique. Let's remind people where you're originally from. Where are you originally from? From originally from Southern Virginia. It's um, a small city called Emporia. <laughs> um, the population was up like 18,000 when I left. Mm -hmm. um, and it's 10 minutes from North Carolina. Very, okay. very south. Okay, so you're in the south, basically. Mm -hmm. It is the South. As, since I'm from up north, that sounds South to me. That sounds very South. Okay, and Jen, let's talk about how you got into the restaurant industry. How'd you catch the bug? I was born and raised in Silver Spring and I was working uh, at a sandwich shop in college mm -hmm. and then was always working uh, at a restaurant, a sports bar through college and grad school. And then when I finished my master's degree, my dad says, just to make him angry, I decided I wanted to be a server. Um, and so I say, if I were your parent, I would be like, uh-huh, okay, that sounds great, great. I always just feel like in a really strange way, my studies, I, I was doing my master's in Arab studies with a focus on culture and society, really kind of led me to um, the, the, in my travels, we shared these wonderful meals and that communal sharing that you have uh, in different cultures and, and food brings you together. So it's, it's, it sounds totally strange, but in a weird way, it did lead me to where I wanted to be working in a restaurant and creating these special menu, uh, memories for people. And when I was working at BLT Steak downtown, I was like, this is it. I love, I love this life. I love this feeling. I love the adrenaline. I love beautiful service. I wasn't even into wine back then, but looking back, they have a sexy wine list. And I was like, very sexy wine list. Oh. No, I mean, I think it's interesting. I, I think there are people who are meant for this business, right? Like there's, it's, you know, it's like, um, it's like a ballet. I find like, I love being in a restaurant when they're setting up before service. Do you know what I mean? Like just sort of the placing of everything. And there's sort of a, a hush over the dining room is everybody sort of putting everything where it needs to be because it's about to, it's about to go down. You know what I mean? Yeah. The excitement before service and then service and then the beer glass of wine shot at the end. Right. Just refreshing glass of water, whatever right. you prefer. As yep. I've gotten older, changed. Right. It changes. But, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's an adrenaline rush. Like mm -hmm. you wouldn't believe if you yeah. don't do it. Yeah. There's been plenty of times I'm running around and like, what am I doing is what I'm asking myself, but I'm still doing it. Right. Yeah. You know, you know what you're doing, but yeah. you're not sure you're doing it in the order you should be doing it in, which. Right. Yeah. right? So now you guys met uh, a Capitol Grill here in Chevy Chase, right? Yes. I learned very serving career, the back of the house and be friendly with the kitchen. Right. And it hurt that Ed was sort of in charge of picking up the tickets. So I would run food and sort of hang out back there. And uh, we ended up connecting mm -hmm. about our goal one day to open a restaurant. Um, so that was 2009. And by 2000, 
2013, we were starting to look for a location and a place um, and, and, a, and then develop concept. So let's talk about that. So, you know, I think it's really interesting because All Set is like the epitome of an independent restaurant, right? Like everything from the concept and the way you guys execute it. But with your, both of your skills and knowledge from Capital Grill, I think you're able to apply a totally different way of running a restaurant that maybe somebody who's only worked in independent restaurants is able to do, you know, like I think of some of the, like the small, interesting restaurants, like in the DC area, you know, where they've all worked like at the Daphne or they work for kinship, you know, not that those aren't fabulous, well-run restaurants, but there's sort of uh, uh, there's something missing that doesn't have that corporate angle in mm -hmm. how to make stuff happen. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I, I think it's invaluable. And I tell everybody when I'm talking about food, yeah, it's funny. I worked in Chili's, Applebee's and Capitol Grill and those places, they they tell you what to make and you make it. But the way they the, the systems work and the processes, those companies are able to scale to that size because of those systems. And we've, we've seen some success in our own company by running it that way. So no, it's been invaluable. Ed and I definitely jumped around to a lot of different restaurants before we finally, um, got together and opened all set. And between sort of BLT steak and Capitol Grill with the steakhouse fine dining, and then that that fine dining and high price points, then I worked at the farmer's restaurant group and that's just volume nuts every day, the hardest day of your life. Mm -hmm. We learned so much. And so it's one, it's a really nice compliment when our guests or our team members say, is this the only all set? And do you have more? And what other restaurants are in your chain? And I'm like, it's just it's me it. and my husband and our managers who yeah. kind of have to make this all work. Which, I mean, it is an amazing compliment. And as we've discussed before, you know, th listen, Dan Simons runs a business like nobody else. And I appreciate his, his ethos, his ethics. Like his, yeah. he has a vision on how the industry should work and he executes it within his restaurants probably not 100 percent all the time but like there is a way that he envisions restaurants running and um it is effective and and contagious his his passion is contagious i find in talking to him um so and that's such a compliment to you but let's talk just quickly about all set so what kind of cuisine are we doing at all set what are for the people who haven't had the pleasure of dining there well, come on by. We are able to open very soon, hopefully. Yay, right. Finally. <laughs> um, so Ed and I really wanted to open a restaurant where you could pronounce all the ingredients and it wasn't going to make you think that hard and you could just eat with your family after a day on the beach or a walk in the woods. And I was bringing a lot of the food memories I had from visiting my father's side of the family in New England in the summers. And Ed ended up working at a raw bar for two years on Nantucket. And when we looked at different spaces around the area, we settled on this one in Silver Spring. We thought, let's do a New England coastal influence restaurant. So oysters on the half shell, lobster rolls, clam chowder, but also just a banging burger, good chicken wings. Again, just nothing to too cerebral. I, I didn't really like, there's lots of places you can go that will expose you to re foams and <laughs> different things. 
Um, 20 courses. Yeah, we didn't want to do that for Silver Spring. Like we didn't, not that Silver Spring doesn't do it. There's the opportunity to engage in some of our items, but it was also like, I felt like I was going into places downtown that were just exposed brick and I felt really uncool. And I wasn't an uncool, I don't feel like I'm uncool. So I wanted it to just be back to just hospitality when you want to be welcome in a place and then enjoy your time with your friends and family. Well, I think that's so important. And, um, you know, there's a, a fabulous TikTok out right now about somebody dining in a place called Aha. And it's, um, I will send it to you. It's very funny. But it's, it's with that in mind that like, you know, you're supposed to, you know, research the menu before you go and, you know, a glass of condensation is a glass of water. I mean, you know, they're, they're, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, so I totally hear you. Like, sometimes it's just nice to go out and have a lobster roll and a burger and fries and know that the food is um, thoughtful and the service is yeah. thoughtful and that the hospitality is there, but without like working too hard. Yes. Um, yeah. As the patron, you should sure. work hard. <laughs> right. <laughs> Right. Yeah, life is so hard. We, you know, once you start to work in the restaurant industry, you work a lot. You so rarely get out, get go to eat. And mm. I just like found myself thinking, man, I really just want to go to a restaurant where I can just enjoy the time with my friends and family, and not. I don't need a sh a fifteen minute spiel as you describe how many small plates I need for the table, and if you want to get this one, you can do that. And just was. It was too much. I was like, let's make it, you know, simple, e easy. Mm -hmm. It just should be all set. Our table's all set to receive you. I want it all set for our menu with a choice for everyone. Um, and just, you know, some fun cocktails with some clever names. Right. Just be mm -hmm. Well, as a fan of the restaurant, um, it is amazing. So the pandemic happens, right? And as um, John Crin said on the show last week, we're no longer using the word um, pivot. We're using the word swivel which I like, I think I've thrown my back out swiveling. Uh, so, uh, so you swivel and you have this idea to do barbecue. Tell me, so the pandemic starts and you just, you're, you're hearing about all these ghost kitchens, right? So what do you think? Um, well, it's funny. We had already, the, the ghost kitchen concept had started to creep up a little bit right before the pandemic. And we were already, we already had money muscle barbecue online through Uber Eats, I want to say DoorDash, and maybe another, we had like 20 tablets in our kitchen. You were already executing it. Did you already have the truck? No. Okay. No. Okay. That's what we saw was, since people weren't coming out, my thought was, um, how do I get to, how do I get the food to people? How can I go out and sell and be seen and get mobile? And we had put money, we were going to invest money to our catering, which was blowing up before the pandemic hit. Mm -hmm. And we, we swiveled and put that money into the food truck. Okay. Before we get we swiveled, we swiveled twice because first we were doing the catering with the ghost kitchen, and there's a part of the restaurant that I just feel like the square footage doesn't justify the money that brings in. So I was going to actually divide all set mm -hmm. into a, the carryout with the barbecue, with the you know, and so we would actually not be a ghost anymore, but it would be two restaurants working out of one kitchen, right. and then. And it became time to sort of do rent negotiation and talk to our landlord about relief. I thought, oh, I have this money that I was going to put into this space, but I don't even know if I'm going to be here in this space. Mm -hmm. So what can we do? And the idea really also was like, 
we'll get a food truck. And then if everything continues to be as bad as it is, Ed and I'll just work the food truck and we'll maybe still have a job at the end of this. Um, clearly we've done as much as we can do to keep our team, you know, going, but that was a little bit of an insurance policy because we don't know, we've been working in restaurants for 20 years. What were we going to do if right. we have to declare bankruptcy and, um, uh, sugar. um, you know, that was sort of where we were going to go. So we decided the food truck and it was to, you know, like Ed was saying, we had to get the food out to the people. How do we get it to the neighborhoods? People, poor people getting married this year, you know, that we're going to have to do outdoor ceremonies. What's the safest way? I don't know if we're going to have a buffet ever again, anywhere. Um, so Fine with that. that was the idea. Yeah. But, you know, so uh, I want to, first of all, I just have to tell you that somebody on the phone to me yesterday called themselves a COVID bride. And I, my eyes oh. rolled so far into the back of my head. I was like, no, 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 that is not happening. But let's talk about the concept of the truck and the kind of food, like give us a uh, barbecue 101, the kind of barbecue you're doing and oh. what, what we can order at Money Muscle. Right. And you know, I want to keep using this word swivel, but it's funny. I started off the barbecue. I had bought a, I was trying, what can I do? How can I smoke meats without tearing up my kitchen and putting a lot of money in? And I found a company in Houston that makes these electric pellet smokers. And so I brought that in first. Okay. I was so, curious how you did that. Yeah. I started off with like, you know, I could just move, move, reorganize my line. And since that was electric, I could just put it underneath my hood, but it's a big smoker. And I started off with that. And while I like the flavor and the ability to put pellets and change the flavor of the wood, hmm. um, not the same as a stick burner and putting that real wood into a, um, a smoker. And um, I feel like we had a, we got a good response from, who was the writer? One of the writers, I'm sorry, is <laughs> right now. But he said, Money Muscle would be on our top list if the, if the, um, the smoke was more pronounced. And that hit me right in my soul. And I was like, okay, finding me a smoker outside. And I know it's cold, but I'm gonna figure it out. And luckily enough, I found Metal Creek Barbecue, which is located in Pennsylvania, the Amish. They built my smoker. Wow. If you haven't seen, I think when you were here, we were still using the pellet. Right. I have a five gallon tank smoker now um, that's on that's on a huge double axle, a monster, where I can crank out, you know, 20 and 30 briskets at a time. Mm -hmm. uh, and so that's really the nature of the barbecue now is really coming all from that wood smoker. Um, my, my one challenge is keeping finding consistent wood around here. That's what, that's the only thing I struggle with. But other than that. Yeah, wood, do you, what? So can we talk about, so you do a variety of different barbecues and for mm -hmm. the uninitiated, what happens mm -hmm. in North Carolina doesn't happen in Texas, doesn't happen right. in Kansas City. So right. what kind of barbecue are you doing and what can people find and do they need different woods? I mean, how does that work? Um, yeah, I mean, we, we're only able to get pretty much oak around here. And so I really focused on, I have a little bit of both styles. I'm from Southern Virginia and I love the North Carolina pork barbecue, but the, the brisket, me being a meat guy and growing up in steakhouses, I had to get good with brisket and bone in short ribs. Mm -hmm. And one thing I wanted to do, everybody does like the, the turkey breast, we do a turkey leg. And so I wanted to do like a bit of a, a difference on that. And we do add sauce to some of our products. So that's more of the Kansas City style. They, they play with the sauces a lot more. You'll get a little bit of everything with us. Um, I have one North Carolina person that comes by here every day and says, can I just get the pulled pork plain? 
no sauce, no nothing. They just want to be able to go right up to the pig and pull the meat off of it. And that's what we do down in the South. Right. So I try different styles with the food. And so all that is regularly offered on your menu. And then I have to give a shout out to the cornbread because it's, you know, it's my favorite. Like I, I always say to people, I'm like, don't, don't struggle between the cornbread and the biscuits. Um, just get both. Yes. Fact, I think I did something on WTOP and I made them cut it because I said, um, it's not a Sophie's Choice moment. And I was like, okay, cut that. That's really inappropriate. <laughs> <laughs> but they're both really good. So yeah. can we just talk a little bit about the cornbread? And then I'd love to get into the biscuits, but we don't have time because I really want to <laughs> swivel up like working in a pandemic, the investments you've had to make, the, the mm -hmm. money, because we haven't really talked about that. Yeah, I mean, it's been it's it's been a costly. I mean, I, I I keep saying everybody we doubled down and we invested. You know, everybody's buying stocks and everything, but we put most of our money into our own stock mm -hmm. um, by buying the food truck, buying the, the heat lamps. We had to replace all of our heat lamps because we're using them so much. So we have brand new heat lamps, um, the new smoker, and I'll be honest, the, the county and the government have given a lot of different grants, luckily that allow us to be reimbursed for some of those things. Mm -hmm. um, but one grant when they first did the reopen Montgomery County grant it was for $5,000, but the heat lamps and the patio furniture to extend our patio was more than $10,000. So that's great. Um, and right now uh, to refill our propane is $25. So, and that wasn't even the initial investment for the heat lamps to get to start up. So right now we're probably spending between two and $300 a week on propane and my sales are nowhere near that. So when people call and ask me if I'm doing happy hour, I'm losing money turning on the heat lamp, serving you a $5 cocktail. So while I wish I could do happy hour, I, you know, and that's why I feel like a lot of restaurants decided to hibernate. Mm -hmm. And, um, but I felt like if we close and then to reopen, it's just so much harder. You lose that momentum. So we cut a, a large amount of our menu back. We don't have crab right now. We don't have clam chowder. I always said to Ed, you just have to have oysters, clam chowder and lobster rolls. And we only have the lobster roll right now because oysters and it's just too expensive right now. Shelf life. And I didn't want to close. I feel like that scares people. I didn't want to lose our audience. I wanted people to see us kind of, not that I think, people had to make their own decisions and I have no idea about other people's financials. Um, but for us, I wanted us just, I was like, we've already been doing this for nine months. We've come this far. We have to keep going. And that's why the barbecue has been so huge because it's just an item that travels better. Mm -hmm. It has better food costs. Um, it's what people want to eat right now. It's hard work. It's, I and, mean, it's, but that's what I was going to ask. So Ed, for you, there's so much more investment of time to make that product. Yes. So it does the, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, I know you know what I'm saying. Well, yeah. there is such an investment in barbecue as far as time and quality mm -hmm. of product as yes. opposed to, I mean, lobster rolls are expensive, mm -hmm. uh, but you don't need to spend as much time making a lobster roll, right? Like it's, so does it even out? Does it make sense for you? Yeah, I mean, I mean, I have a, luckily I'm passionate about it, but I can't imagine how anyone else would want to get up at four in the morning and start a fire right. um, and, you know, and then manage the fire. 
um, all of that stuff. But yeah, I, I love it. So yes, it's definitely been worth the investment. It, it actually reinvigorated me, to be honest. It um, reignited some passion within me that I, maybe I had lost um, during this whole pandemic thing. Because I'm like, restaurants are getting murdered by this. Right. You know, the, the delivery companies are making a ton of money, but the people who are making the food aren't making any. So um, no, it's been worth it because we've sort of gotten away from the delivery companies and now having the truck with the barbecue, we can bring, we bring the food out to ourselves. So it's definitely been worth it to me. And I, and I'm, I'm excited and I feel bullish about the future because we have it and the restaurant will get back to capacity at some point, but the food truck, once the weather turns, I, I think it's going to be magnificent to be honest. And it's just fun. Food trucks are fun. And like a, a being around a fire with that smell, mm -hmm. it's just going to be, yeah. Super fun. Clothes I leave outside. So let's talk about the business model of it. So not only can I order delivery from you all, right? Um, and I could order all set or money muscle. I can also do what we're calling neighborhood drops, right? Yeah. So I could get my neighbors together and say, hey, money muscle barbecue is going to come with their truck. You can order in advance or um, you can come and buy. But how do you guys execute it? How do you how do you make that work? You know, I, I keep saying we have a strategic advantage because I'm utilizing my kitchen to the to the fullest. And by doing the pre-orders for the neighborhood, it allows me to do a lot more value. Like I can't put with so much food on this truck to come and sell. Mm -hmm. But if I get 50% of the people or even 60% of the people to pre-order their food, mm -hmm. we, make, we make that food, we deliver it, and the truck comes a little bit before that food. People who didn't order the, the pre-orders order when they get there. So it allows us to do a lot more value. And we've seen food trucks who can't do that get crushed and I feel so warm um like really really sad um so much you can do right like I mean everybody has good intentions to spend money do you know what I mean I I just I feel like the pandemic needs to allow for a larger conversation with food trucks and restaurants and the food service community like there's we're all talking about it but mm -hmm. I I wish I'm not the person obviously but there is clearly the next step when we hit the new normal when people are all vaccinated whatever it is there mm -hmm. is a, a new direction to go i don't have the answer but i right. feel like there's people who do who, who should be talking about it you know what i mean like jen you and i were talking offline about like the finances of the business right and the you know how you guys because of your you know incredible experience in the industry were able to file for the loans and get you know and, and work the system to keep your people paid and get the stuff you need um where others don't have that ability yeah absolutely i think it's just been so difficult for people even just to apply and access these loans because traditionally whether it was an immigrant or a minority owned there they don't have established restaurants uh excuse me relationships with banks so then the way they set up the PPP loan process, you were going through banks. Mm -hmm. So if you had a great customer, the bank might be predisposed to move your application along faster. Mm -hmm. And if you aren't um, uh, maybe well, a corporate Shack. I mean, you know, or yeah. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, yeah, look, a lot of people yeah. complaining about Shake Shack, but I, I'm curious about your both of your opinion about this. So Shake Shack has a lot of employees. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, maybe they didn't deserve the money, the huge loan that they got, but like right. they still had people that they had to pay and they initially exactly. closed. So like, I, I understood the ire out there, but I was kind of like, I think, I think you have to, I just felt like 
it's so, you know, there's no shades of gray anymore. Everything is right. one or the other. Right, I so agree. I'm curious how you feel about, feel about that. I, I really felt like with that situation, when you have operating cash and reserve cash flow in your bank account, you're already in the system. You already know the system. You know how the system works. Mm-hmm. And that's been the problem you have when they ask you for your PL and your financials and your payroll and your health and your, your, your employee benefits, like, a lot of people <laughs> are literally just opening, closing, and maybe getting some documents to their tax advisors at the end of the year. Mm-hmm. So when you had all of these things that they were asking you, just even for your tax returns, right. some people don't have those. So that was just, it can, while it was, these PPP loans and, and these loans are definitely a lifeline and something that was struggling. A lot of people are just disenfranchised because they don't work the system. Right. And that's a little bit of a problem. We, we had, we participated in black restaurant week and I feel like they gave me a little cut on one of the news channels. And I just was like, yeah, it's black restaurant week, go out and support black restaurants. But it also, it cannot end with just a restaurant week and it can't end with just the 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 structure that they had set up with these loans really left immigrant and mom and pop shops. Yeah, yeah, they're gone. You bring up a good point. So look, I I love the people behind Black Restaurant Week. I think it's an incredible initiative. Um, Mm -hmm. But this leads me sort of to the end of the show. So you know, like it's Black History Month. I think it's really important. But it also makes me think. I mean, why do we have a month for Black History Month? Do I mean like? I feature black owned businesses and black makers and, I, I, and people of color and immigrants like on every show I do because mm-hmm. I, my whole point is to share the story. So I didn't want to do anything specific under an umbrella because I don't feel a month sort of does anything. Do you know yeah. what I'm saying? So like that was one of the reasons why I really wanted to talk to you because mm-hmm. you have never, Ed, this is, I mean, to both of you, but you know, when you guys opened all set, you weren't like, hey, we're a black owned business. You weren't right. using that as a marketing tool. And I'm not saying that people shouldn't. Don't get mm-hmm. me wrong. But I'm wondering how you feel about that, where you both put yourself in this sort of new normal that, you know, this last year has sort of brought to the forefront. How do you feel about it? You know, it's funny, you know, having this conversation, I'm getting different emotions about it. But to be honest, there was a moment of pride, I would say, because the support was outrageous when it first happened. Um, I mean, we were all people we had never heard of. Famous people were putting my, were putting our restaurants on their list and their stories on Instagram. Um, so I did. I appreciated that part. But the thing was, like, why do we have to do? Why is that? Why do we have to do this? Why couldn't? Why, I mean, we're a good business, black or white, whatever we are. Um, and then we had someone get mad that we had a Black Lives Matter flag up and said, "I'm not coming back to your restaurant." Bye. I don't Bye. keep your business, please. Right, that's what I said. My ever-loving mind. Right, and I'm not one of those people. And it was it was actually a, a state police officer, which is weird. And um, and I'm not. I was never one of those guys. After January sixth, no, it's not. I know. I agree exactly. And I wasn't like never defund the police or anything. But I was like, I do want Black Lives to matter. And you know, I mean, that should that should be the very least. So it's 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 indifferent for me that we have to like that we have to like promote it and. But it's also a prideful moment, so I'm kind of 50-50 on it, to be honest. We uh, always wanted to be a reflection of Silver Spring, yes. and we've really tried over the years to. I wanted our guests coming in to see 
their representation when we were hiring our team. But there have been a lot of times where we've been very white or we've been very black. And it's it just has changed throughout the years. Um, and before this happened, we really were just like a neighborhood family restaurant. Mm -hmm. And then these things as a, a white Jewish woman, woman married to a black man with an interracial son, I wasn't thinking about these. That was my just my my privilege and I've kind of tried I, I and I really still I don't know where I stand on a lot of things but I was telling Ed at some points over this past year like I didn't want him to go out and walk our dogs at night like I was worried and that's something that other people don't feel and so always wanting to represent ourselves as a neighborhood family restaurant I am proud that my partner um who's I think a really good cook um and chef is a black guy. And if people want to come here now because of that, great. But also come here just because we're like, we're nice people. And you should be supporting your local restaurants, right. whoever they are. Well, listen, on that note, and I, I think we're ending on a really good one. Um, I want to thank you both. We had some technical difficulties, but we made it work. So I want to thank you both for joining me today. Please tell everybody where they can um, find you, find you online, find you on social media and arrange their own uh, neighborhood drop like I'm doing next week. So always visit us at allsetrestaurant.com on social media at allsetdtss for the Money Muscle Barbecue. We're at moneymusclebbq.com and we're on social media at moneymusclebbq. There's a form on our uh, Money Muscle website where you can fill out where you would like to see us and if you would like to set up a neighborhood drop. So get in touch, call the restaurant, call us. We'd love to talk to people um, and we hope to see everyone safely soon. Yes. Absolutely. Okay, guys, thank you so much. So that was such a good show. Um, and I'm really delighted that uh, Ed and Jen were able to have a real honest conversation with me about their experience, not just during the pandemic, but Black Lives Matter. And I wanna thank all of you for joining me again on Industry Night. Uh, please remember to check out Everybody Eats, uh, an amazing organization that Courtney Lewis launched just six months ago. And if you haven't ordered from Money Muscle, you are really missing some delicious barbecue. And you just heard Chef Ed talk about that smoker, so make it worth his investment. Uh, don't forget, please support area restaurants if you can. There are amazing things happening all around the DC metro area. You can go to the list areyouwanted.com, my online e-zine, where we have a calendar chock full of virtual events and things that you can participate in. Every brunch, lunch, and dinner happening in the DC metro area is up there. Um, and of course, you can follow me at NYCCI, N-E-L-L-I-S, on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Uh, please mask up, dip your body in hand sanitizer, be safe out there, and have a delicious week. Industry Night with Nikki Nellis, Real Fun DC.